Let's take our uh, Bibles uh, this evening to the book of Psalms. And Psalm uh, 32, I'm going to read verse 1 through 5, and then I want to ask you to get your uh, marker there into Psalm 51. We want to read Psalm 51 also. So uh, put one in Psalm 32 there, 1 through 5, and then Psalm 51. I wanted to uh, take some time to uh, think about our preparations for our revival meeting coming up and and the subject of uh, repentance. And so uh, Psalm 32, first of all, let's stand together as we read the scriptures. Psalm 32, I'm going to read verse 1 through 5, and then skip up to Psalm 51 and uh, read the read the entire Psalm 51. All right, Psalm 32, if you'd follow along as we read. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. If you go over to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me throughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. Be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward, uh, inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide my face, uh, hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then Will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, upon, uh, o, o Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, wilt thou not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bullocks upon thine altar. And our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would... Uh, 
uh, open our hearts and our eyes and our ears and our souls and our spirits to the truths that the Holy Spirit of God would have us to ha uh, have and to see from these passages of Scripture that relate David's repentant spirit uh, in those days long ago. We pray, Father, that as we consider these truths that we'll understand what they mean to us and in our lives personally. Help us, Father, to exhibit genuine repentance in our spirit and our conduct and our walk. We ask your blessing on the reading of thy word and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And in Psalm 32, there for a few minutes tonight as we wrap up uh, the first day of our week, aren't you uh, glad we get to start each week in the house of the Lord with the people of God? It's a good way to have each week begin. I thank the Lord that he had uh, uh, the the uh, vision and he had the foresight and he had the wisdom and he had the providence to set the Lord's Day as the first day of the week. Uh, you know, give the Sabbath to the to the Jews, they can have it. And the Seventh-day Adventists, let them keep it. And uh, Seventh-day Baptists, let them continue to be confused with that. And uh, that uh, you take Saturday as your Sabbath day, take a day off if you want. Uh, rest, do some yard work around the house, but come to church on the Lord's Day and the first day of the week. Start your week off right. Looking forward to Brother uh, McCracken being able to be with us next week, and you'll be blessed by his ministry if you haven't uh, heard him. How many of you have not heard Brother McCracken preach before yet? Not heard him? All right, just a few uh, that haven't heard, and so we'll you'll in, be enjoying Brother Dave's ministry with us. We had some more men sign up today for our, uh, for our men's conference, so we've got a good group going. If you still want to go along with us, we'd love to have you there, and uh, come and go. This You can still uh, make it. If you can make it on uh, just one of the days, Friday or Saturday, that's fine too. Come on ahead. There's a lesser charge for, for that. And uh, the Saturday is the one with the two meals in it. So if you want to pick one day where you get the most bang for your buck, Saturday would be a good one. So get breakfast and you get the steak dinner of some sort. I think it's some kind of steak or tri-tip or something. Uh, but it'll be good. So Brother George is cooking, so we know it's going to be good. Brother George is going to be helping him out over there. So be a good crowd of men there, and you'll get acquainted with some of the brethren uh, from churches like ours across the Southland. And so encourage you guys to go along with and, uh, and be, uh, be a part of that. Um, we, we use the term revival. We talk about revival, and um, we have that uh, word in the Bible. It's used four or five times in the Scriptures. It, it's, its root is um, one that several other good words come from, alive and living. The, the root of those words is the same as revival, uh, and so um, there's some other words that are connected with it. We get the word uh, vivacious from the same root that comes revival. We get the word vivid from the same root that comes the word revival. And so the idea there is uh, something that's really fully alive and really with it, you know. And so that's what we're, uh, that's what we're praying that God will do in our lives, in our church life as a result of our meetings together. We call it a revival meeting, but it's only such if Christians get revived and if uh, lost folks come to life in Christ. So uh, one of the senses of revive is to be dead and to be brought to life. And so uh, those that have uh, come to the age of accountability in their youth and recognized the, the sinfulness of sin and did it anyway, that at that point the spirit within uh, us dies and there is at that point the need for the new birth, the spirit to be revived, to be born again. And so um, the term revival applies in that sense to the lost coming to Christ. And it applies in the other sense to one that is alive, but he's just sort of, you know, 
he's just sort of the uh, zombie, sort of the living dead spiritually, you know. He's walking around, but, uh, you know, he's, he hadn't got much going for him, so uh, spiritually speaking. So uh, we need revival, and all of us need uh, revival regularly in our experience and our walk with the Lord. We are, uh, you know, we are the, the battery that runs, we are, the, we are like the rechargeable battery. We, uh, we run down, and we need to be plugged in now and then. And revival is that plugging in opportunity, the restoring of vitality to our, uh, our life experience, the getting back into the blessings of God and getting back into God's purpose. So uh, the idea of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ is what we're talking about here in, in uh, the new birth and then the Christian being revived as well. But repentance is something in a Christian's life that needs to be revisited uh, regularly. Repentance is something that doesn't just happen once at our conversion and then that's it, we're good to go. Repentance is something that all of us Christians need to uh, have as a part of our experience in growing in Christ, to have that repentant spirit, to get us back to a fruitful life again. All of us have times in our life where we would call them a desert experience where we're just sort of out there in the dry place and not bearing much fruit and not uh, moving forward necessarily, but uh, just sort of there. You know, we're saved, we're going to heaven, but we're just sort of there. And that's not, that's not where the fullness of God's blessing and the, and the benefits of life are, just kind of there, you know. Uh, the people of Israel were 40 years in that place of wandering in the wilderness and not really where God wanted them to be long term. And so revival is about getting us from those places of dry, you know, the dry bones experience to uh, where we want to be, where we ought to be, where God's blessing is uh, very clearly evident in our life. So um, David's year of barrenness after his sin with Bathsheba is uh, what leads up to this passage of scripture that we've read tonight. He was out of fellowship with the Lord. He was out of sync with God's will. Uh, there were no Psalms uh, other than this one that uh, God was giving David to write in that period of time. Uh, there, was no, uh, there, there was no sense that God was in what he was doing. He was doing it and, and God was uh, present in heaven, but the heavens were for da to David, whereas brass and his prayers were idle. They had no, they had no response, and his reading of the scriptures was routine, and not uh, there was nothing in it for him. He'd read it and not remember what he'd read. He'd read it and get nothing out of it. The Holy Spirit uh, uh, w was continuing to convict him, but he was resisting that conviction, and so nothing else was was where it should be either. So he spent that year in a, uh, a circumstance uh, which we would compare to Solomon's experience when he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's no purpose in life. That's where David was this period of a year from the sin that he sinned with Bathsheba until the time of repentance came about. That's where he was. And the time of repentance in David's life began with a revival meeting with the preacher's meeting. He was the only guy that was being addressed in this service, uh, you know, um, and that's kind of tough when, you know, you're the only guy in church and the preacher's preaching and who else is it going to apply to, you know. 
Right now, you can think, well, all this isn't for me. It's for Brother Ash or somebody else over there, you know, and I don't need to pay attention to this. He's preaching to somebody else. Uh, well, when you're the only guy there, there's no question about who the preacher is preaching to, you know. That's the way it is when you start a church, you know, and you, you got just two people that show up and you're preaching. It's like, well, you know, uh, I, can't, I can't make this general. i gotta, I got to make it to you. And I'm preaching on, you know, judgment and hell. And, and uh, uh, so it's, uh, it is tough when there's just one or two people there. But that was the way it was. And Nathan showed up for the services and just uh, David was there to preach to. And, uh, and the Lord said, well, the, 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 the message is for him alone. And so David uh, was the recipient of the preaching of the prophet uh, Nathan. And Nathan uh, made it clear what the problem was and who was the problem and why Israel was not being blessed. He made it clear whose responsibility it was. But so the, the, the revival in David's life started with a preacher preaching the truth, the hard truth that he had to get. So uh, the concept of bringing a preacher to preach the, the truths of God's word from a fresh perspective uh, in a congregation of believers is not foreign at all to the scriptures. It's very much a biblical concept, and so uh, we have that opportunity uh, as the week comes up and as you pray uh, that God will use the preaching of God's man to touch the hearts of all of God's people in the, in the few days that we have together uh, with the preacher, and so uh, pray along those lines. But I want also for us to, I would like to see us have the kind of responsive heart that David had in this, uh, in the, as a result of this preaching of Nathan the prophet. David had a receptive and responsive heart, something that was different than he'd had for a year, but now he has this responsive and receptive heart. It was uh, so. The background that led up to this was, of course, uh, what you read in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where uh, you're, you're finding David in the position where he's home, his army is out. Under normal circumstances, he would be out with them. It was the spring of the year, and um, he should have been in that place, but he lingered behind, he tarried behind, and he was unoccupied and not working and not involved in anything, just whiling away the time and looked out his window and saw Bathsheba below in a rooftop uh, uh, bathing herself, and the uh, and the uh, incitement uh, uh, to sin was begun in his uh, in his heart. So sin was first conceived there. He didn't stumble into it. He didn't accidentally become overwhelmed by it. He uh, looked and saw and lusted, and it was something that was conceived first in his heart before it was carried out. But then it was carried out because actions always are preceded by thoughts first. How important it is for us to get this, to understand that our thoughts and our heart is precedent to our actions. In anybody's case, what's going on in the heart and mind happens first, and then the actions follow afterward. So it was with David, and so it will be and always is with you and I. Sin is first conceived in the heart, in the mind, carried out then by the actions that follow. And then the sin is covered. David covers the sin, but he covers it with one of those blankets that's too short. You read about those in the Bible, a blanket that's too short to wrap yourself around in it, too short to cover your head and feet, and uh, it's a covering, but it doesn't get the job done. 
the covering that's too small. It's a covering, but it's the wrong covering. And such coverings never stay on. Brother Gibbs uh, tells the story of uh, his farming days. And uh, they lived in a part of the country that was sort of boggy as, uh, under the ground. And they had some cows that died of a disease and had to be buried. And so they took the tractor out and dug a trench and put the cows in there and buried them up. And uh, a few days later, the cows bloated um, and they were boggy ground and they weren't buried deep enough. And so the bloating turned them around upside down and their hooves and feet stuck up out of the ground. So uh, all over the ground was an orchard of, uh, uh, of the legs of uh, bloated cattle uh, in the, and the stench that went with it there. The covering was not the right covering. It wasn't good enough. The, the, uh, the, the problem that was covered up uh, made itself known and, and was worse than ever. So it is when you and me try to cover up sin rather than dealing with it biblically, that's exactly what he did. Those covers never stay on. But then the sin was confronted as Nathan the prophet, directed by the Holy Spirit of God, gave David the word. The sin was confronted and then immediately confessed after that as well. David confessed his sin. After the confrontation, confrontation and the confession, came the cleansing, and we read it in the second verse there, wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me, uh, uh, and cleanse me uh, from my sin. So uh, to be washed all the way through, that's a good word, a good old English word. It's, it's different than thoroughly, it's throughly, all the way through is what the word means there, and uh, if you look it up in your in your um, 1828 Webster's Dictionary, or if you have the Oxford English Dictionary, that's a good one too. Look it up, and it says, all the way through. And that's the way you and I need to be cleansed, all the way through. Wash me all the way through from my sin, he said. And so the, the cleansing took place in those, uh, uh, in those moments. Verse 7 of the same chapter, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. So there was the covering that took place afterwards, which was the covering of the right kind. And we read of that in the uh, 32nd Psalm. We read of how he prayed and that his sins were covered. Here's, he covered up his sins and it wasn't the right covering and they showed up again. But there his uh, sins were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that covering is the effectual, eternal one that those, those hooves never come up out of the ground again. Those uh, embarrassing, sinful things that God has forgiven us of never come up out of the ground again. And thank God for that. So from these Psalms that we've just read and the thoughts uh, concerning the process going down through here, we can draw four simple principles, four uh, simple indications of what genuine repentance looks like. So as we're considering our response to the preaching uh, of the gospel and the preaching of the word in the, in the week ahead, there'll be preaching geared to Christians. There'll be things that are geared toward unconverted persons. Uh, but there'll be something in there for all of us, young and old, uh, whether we're right with God and walking with Him or whether we're out of fellowship with God. Whether we're saved or lost, there'll be something in the preaching of God's Word in the week ahead for all of us, for every one of us. And what we want is to be genuine in our response. 
and genuine in our repentance. So let's take a look from what we've seen here of some marks of genuine repentance. The first one is this. Uh, a mark of genuine repentance is to be more concerned with the guilt of my sin than with the consequences of my sin. That's a mark of genuine repentance. When your concern is more about the guilt of your sin than the consequences of it. Everyone is sorry when bad things happen to them as a result of the consequences of sinful actions. We're all sorry about that. And all the people that are in jail, they're all sorry that they got caught in what they were doing. They're all sorry about that. But there's a different kind of sorrow that we're talking about. It's a godly sorrow that leadeth to repentance that we're talking about. And so to be at the point where we recognize that our concern is with the guilt rather than the consequences of our sin. And, and uh, David doesn't ever put the focus in Psalm 51 on the consequences that he had suffered. He, he doesn't put the focus there. He puts the focus on his own personal guilt. So genuine uh, repentance deals with the guilt issue and confesses the guilt issue. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. He did not give any blame to Bathsheba who was outside on the roof bathing herself uh, in an open setting. It was not a circumstance that anybody would have seen other than those that were on a plane higher than she was. But, uh, but uh, we don't find David saying, well, if she hadn't been, if she'd been more careful, uh, if she had been less uh, you know, obvious about what she was doing there, maybe I wouldn't have gotten into this mess. That's the justification that often takes place when our repentance isn't genuine. When we're seeking some way to, to at, least, at least include someone else in the blame. But that's not genuine repentance. Genuine repentance has to deal with our own guilt in the matter. Um, you know, he, he didn't, in Psalm 51 or Psalm 32, he never asked God. He didn't come to God and say, God, I'm repenting now, but would you reverse the consequences? Would you make things different? Would you make them better? Uh, would you take away the consequences that I have been experiencing uh, with uh, my family, with the loss of my child, with the, uh, with the children in rebellion? He did not express uh, any of that at all. He wasn't concerned with the consequences as he was with his own personal guilt uh, in the matter. And so that's the first one. The second one is this. Uh, second mark of genuine repentance is this. To be looking upward rather than inward, okay? Genuine repentance looks up, puts its focus on him, not on me and how I feel. Um, just having remorse, you know, about the consequences of sins is one thing, but remorse without repentance brings a person to the place of just wanting to avoid God, wanting to avoid church, wanting to avoid preaching, wanting to, wanting to avoid the Bible, avoid prayer. Remorse without repentance is not, is not cutting it. It's not going to get it done. It's not, that's not genuine repentance, just remorse, you see. A, repent, a repentant heart longs to get close to the Father again and longs to restore the close relationship between the Lord and yourself. That's genuine repentance, you see. That's what we're talking about, that longing that is there. I have a dog. We have a dog named Indy. She's a German Shepherd. She's about seven years old now, and um, I've become the one that she's most attached to. You know, uh, 
uh, and so whenever I'm home, she's always around me and so forth, and she'll get, she'll do bad things now and then. She'll bark at the neighbor dog and just keep barking, you know, and I'll have to yell at her, and I'll get on her and get angry with her, and uh, I'll get her up there, and I'll get in her face, and I'll say, you're the worst dog in America, and uh, she's so ashamed of that, you know, and she bows her head, and she's so embarrassed and humiliated about it, and I just keep on it for a while. You're the worst dog in America, and I'll sit down, and she's so, so repentant, you know, and uh, she comes and humbly comes up, and I'll have my hand down, and she'll put her, her head under my hand and lift it up, you know, and want me to, want me to pet her, you know, and she'll, she'll give every expression of repentance, you know, that's, that she can and, and make it clear, but her desire is to have the okay of her master and to get back and in good stead with her master. She, she wants me to approve her now, and I'll still tell her a little bit, you are the worst dog in America, you know. And, and, uh, but she'll keep on, and she'll keep asking, and she'll keep coming. She'll keep uh, looking for uh, the approval. But when, so I finally, you know, uh, give up, and I say, all right, you're the best dog in America. And she, she's so happy and thrilled with that, and she'll run down and get a stick or get a rock or something, want to play with it and, and that. But her, uh, her desire is to have uh, the right relationship with her master. That's her whole purpose in life is to have a right relationship with her master, you know. And so um, she just wants to hang around her master when, uh, when her master's home with her. She wants to be where I am. She wants to see where I am and know what I'm doing and be within close, close uh, proximity to me. And I thought that's how we Christians ought to want to be with our Heavenly Father. We ought to just want his uh, uh, hand upon our head. We ought to want him close to us. We ought to desire his approval. We ought to desire his fellowship more than anything else in the world. And so uh, that's what uh, genuine repentance produces, that desire to have our Father to be close to us uh, and uh, to, to give his approval in, in our lives. So how well does your situation and mind reflect that desire. Do we have that kind of a desire? The third mark is the uh, in the idea of looking at indications for genuine repentance in our own heart. The third the third mark is um, we're seeking God's pardon rather than pity. We want pardon over pity. There's no excuses offered in Psalm 51 or Psalm 32. You didn't see him offer any excuses to God. Uh, he wasn't looking for pity. He wasn't looking for God to say, oh, well, I understand you had extenuating circumstances, and I recognize that some of the things that happened were, were just over the top and, uh, and that. So he wasn't, he wasn't asking for pity. He wasn't seeking pity, as often we do when our repentance isn't genuine. His was genuine, and he sought the pardon of the Lord, and the pardon was all he wanted. He talked about my sin and my transgressions, and I have sinned, and, uh, and I am guilty, and I, I want uh, your your pardon. I don't want to be, I want to be delivered from blood guiltiness. So if you and I come to the altar with any sense of justification for sins, it's a wasted trip to the altar. If we come to the altar with any uh, justifying of what we have been convicted by the Spirit of God to repent of, then the repentance didn't occur yet. You know, it didn't occur yet. So what is it you and I need to focus on repentance toward and real repentance, genuine repentance, just seeking the pardon of God and the restoration that God has to bring us back into his fellowship. So that's what we're talking about. 
the altar here in your your personal altar in your prayer life, where wherever you uh, sit or or spend time in the Word and in prayer, this altar here, uh, the altar is not designed to be a place to uh, maintain our self-respect and our self-esteem. You know, it's not designed for that. You know, kneeling at an altar isn't with the idea, well, we need to try to maintain our, our self-image and our self-respect and our self-esteem. <laughs> That's not what kneeling at an altar does. It's uh, meant to uh, eliminate those that sense of, you know, uh, something other than just seeking the pardon of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord. That's what we're talking about. So um, we're, we're, we're looking at that. We're looking at the idea of, of uh, recognizing ourselves for who we are, and uh, realizing that our the, the conviction of our sins is real and that the response ought to be just as real. The contemporary rewriters of hymns don't like the old hymns so much because they're so, uh, you know, they're so blunt, you know, about what you are and, and what you've done against God. And they don't like those hymns. <laughs> They've rewritten a lot a lot of them. Um, we sing a song. It's correct in the new hymn. It was wrong in the old hymn. No, it's one of the reasons I wanted to change to the newer, to the one we have now from the old one we had before. But slipped in there before we saw it was a, several changes that were made. One of them was with uh, the, um, the uh, hymn that has the phrase in it, would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Many of the modern hymnals, the contemporary, all the contemporary ones, and many of the modern hymnals that have that in them at all have rewritten it to say it this way. Would he devote that sacred head for such a one as I? Because it's softer and it's easier on you and it doesn't make you feel so bad. And so uh, a worm, you know, a worm, do I have to sing that I'm a worm? <laughs> You know, uh, do I have to sing that? Well, if you if your attitude is I'm not singing that, I'm not. You're you're looking at your self esteem, your self respect, and your honor, and your you know we we need to pity you and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you're not looking at it right. Uh, and the 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 hymn writer knew what he was writing when he wrote such a worm as I. He, it's a biblical uh, principle. You see it in the scriptures. But uh, if you're not ready to get to the place where you are able to see yourself in that light, you're not ready to repent yet, to have biblical repentance. And so they've done that. Uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch like me. I used to re-sing it that saved a wrench like me, but uh, <laughs> um, I found that I, you know, was... was uh, was not, uh, that was too much self-esteem there. So <laughs> saved a wretch like me, yeah. So they've rewritten that one too. You'll see it all kinds of different ways. But as uh, reading one person's uh, article concerning this, this is a lady uh, that was writing an article about that. She said this, people like me who don't self-identify as wretches have suggested alternate lyrics. These revisionists prefer to replace a wretch like me with saved and set free or saved a soul like me or saved and strengthened me. A couple of these options lack the cadence of the original, but they solve the wretch problem. 
Do you have a wretch problem? Is your, uh, is your self-esteem affected by the fact that you are a wretch and that you are having to sing that you are a wretch like me? <laughs> Does that bother you? Well, you haven't, uh, you haven't understood biblical repentance yet uh, if that is the case. And so the Holy Spirit of God guided uh, the uh, writers of the Scripture to be uh, unvarnished in their... Um, in their estimation of where we stood as an unholy sinner in the eyes of a holy God. And biblical repentance cannot be affected until we get to that place, see. So genuine uh, biblical repentance seeks pardon as a sinner who needs the grace of God. That's the, that's the mark of, uh, of biblical repentance. So we need, to, we need to recognize that. Genuine repentance leaves behind uh, the idea that we need to change things up to soften things up to make them more palatable to our current culture and leaves that behind and uh, leaves behind the idea of affirmation and puts in there the need for pardon and restoration. So there we go. The fourth, the final one, the final indication of genuine repentance is the desire for cleansing rather than just covering up my sin. Um, genuine repentance never says this, Lord, don't let this get out. Don't let people know. Don't let people find out about this. David, it was too late for David on that score. Uh, he didn't tell Nathan, let's keep this between ourselves. Let's just try to contain this. Let's not make it a matter of everybody knowing about it. I want to retain some dignity in this matter. If you and I desire to retain some dignity in the matter of repentance towards sin, then we haven't repented about sin yet. So... We need to get that. We need to understand that. The Lord uh, doesn't uh, give us an opportunity to, uh, to you know, s slip out easy. He wants us to face the, 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 full, uh, uh, the full truth of our sin, our condition, and fully express uh, a desire for Him to cleanse us and forgive us and cover us with His blood. So as a child of God, as David was, we need to come to him in that uh, manner of repentance, to respond biblically in repentance, to have genuine repentance than, rather than just a half-hearted, un-incomplete uh, you know, un, uh, repentance that so often we, you know, we find ourselves guilty of. So let me encourage you as you think about the week ahead and our response to the preaching of uh, the evangelist when he comes to... Uh, to challenge us with the word, let's let's ask God to, you know, I I may end up at the altar every night. You may end up at the altar every night too. I don't know. You may not come at all and be fine with God. I don't know. God knows your heart. God knows where you're at. He knows, you know, what uh, degree of genuineness and uh, and commitment that you're at. And so, let's ask the Lord just to help us to see it and get it and respond as He leads us to. So tonight we have the opportunity. You. Uh, may uh, be led of the Lord to respond to the altar here tonight and use the altar this evening and uh, ask the Lord to help you to be clear in your repentance and clear in your desire to focus on Him and His glory rather than any concern about uh, maintaining our own self-esteem and our own dignity. Let's uh, ask God to just uh, guide us as we respond to Psalm 51 and uh, join David in that desire to uh, 
be cleansed and restored and have a right spirit uh, with God. Let's ask the Lord to just help us all with that. Let's stand together with our heads bowed, have a word of prayer, give an invitation. And uh, as God leads you, respond to His Holy Spirit, will you?